Well, the left has really gone off the rails. I mean in a big way. They're just engaged in lunacy now. It's as if they're all afflicted with rabies. Forget COVID. They've got rabies. They really do. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury for National Preview Online, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so and you would like to subscribe to the show, you can do so by simply going to the iTunes App Store, searching for NP Online, and you can subscribe to the show that way. In the alternative, if you are a person who uses an Android device, you can also subscribe to the show. Simply go to the Google Play Store, search for the Podbean app, which is a free app. That's our hosting service. You can search for NP Online in the Podbean app, and you can subscribe to the show that way, and this way you won't miss a thing. So I just wanted to give you a little roundup today. You know, I I keep hitting this election thing so hard because, I mean, is there anything more important right now than the future of the republic? Uh, And is this election not the most important issue relevant to the future of the republic? But before we get into that, just goes to show you when they get their when they get their um, their mojo going, when they think they've got a victory, they just really push that left wing envelope and eventually they're going to push themselves right off a cliff. San Francisco has just made it illegal to smoke in your own home. That's right. Only tobacco, though. Marijuana is still fine. We have to watch out for that risk of secondhand smoke, uh, which kills so many people, uh, and we have to watch out for smoking itself. But the smoke damage to your lungs from marijuana, not really an issue. After all, they say it's the only place legal they can smoke marijuana, so you've got to let them smoke it there. But is there any place left to smoke tobacco legally? I live here in New York, and I I say the same thing all the time. It's almost disreputable. The level of tobacco tax that they impose on people who smoke, and I'm not advocating smoking, but you have a right to smoke if you wish to smoke. Now, there are certain accommodations made for other people, but it's getting to the point now where the right of people not to smoke is overly infringing on people's right to smoke. They hit you with taxes that are incredible, Then they pass laws that say you can't smoke within 50 feet of the entrance of a building. You can't smoke in a public place. And they always hold out a restaurant as a public place or a bar. They're not public places. They're privately owned establishments. Uh, And um, the owner or the proprietor of that establishment should be allowed to let people smoke if he wishes to let people smoke. It's a very, very perfectly reasonable position. But the left isn't for that. They also prevent you from smoking in a public park. Now, people can go and they can smoke marijuana in a public park. They can shoot up heroin in public parks here in New York City, and the city will even give you free needles, and they'll give you a a very, very safe, disposable receptacle that you can use to get rid of those needles when you finish using them. But don't you dare light up a cigar or a cigarette in a public park. Now they're getting into the point where you can't smoke in your residence. Now, I guess if you own your own home, you're probably okay. But if you're in an apartment or a multiple dwelling, uh, they, they say you're responsible for the migration of your smoke. Now, maybe in a rental, they may be able to try and do that. You have to sign a rental agreement. You know, but I own my own apartment in Manhattan. Now, why should I have to 
be restricted from smoking in my own home because I'm responsible for the migration of the smoke. Now, you would think the roof would be a good place to smoke because you wouldn't have to worry about the migration of the smoke up there uh, because you're 18 floors up and there's nobody's window nearby. So that would be a great place. And they assessed us uh, two months maintenance a few years back to spend a $300,000 project on renovating the roof. And they then proceeded to impose a number of restrictions that um, permit you from really doing anything with the space, the space except sitting there like a schmuck in the sun. So uh, I don't really see the benefit of it. Now, I have a terrace, but if I go on the terrace, I have to worry about the smoke migrating, I guess, to my neighbor's terrace or the person above me or below me, which is pretty amusing since my neighbor smokes pot on a regular basis on the terrace um, right immediately next to mine. So you see, this is sort of lunacy. Now, Joe Biden, he's up there, too. He's not going to not be a party of the lunacy. Joe was out there saying that the first day he's inaugurated, uh, he's going to ask the public for 100 days to mask up. Just 100, not forever, just 100 days. This is quoting him. I think we'll see a significant reduction that occurs with the vaccinations and masking to drive down the numbers considerably. Well, I would think the vaccinations would do a lot more to drive down the numbers than any masking, wouldn't you? I mean, we now know that the mask is not this panacea. The mask will help prevent someone who has it from projecting it out, but it won't prevent you from getting it if you're wearing a mask and somebody who's not wearing a mask who has it is coughing because the coughing will allow the virus to touch the outside of your mask. It won't penetrate the mask. But the minute you touch the mask, now you have the virus on your hands, and if you don't wash frequently, you've still got the virus. So this mask is being held out as this miracle, and it's far from it. But not to leave it at that, Joe wasn't consent, wasn't content to leave it at that, which even though I disagree with, at least sounds somewhat cogent and coherent. No. He also says that we are likely to lose, are you ready for this? We are likely to lose another 250,000 Americans to COVID between now and January. Now, in case you haven't checked your calendar, today is December 3rd. Uh, there's only 28 days from now till January. Is this lunatic really suggesting that a number of Americans, just about equal to the number of Americans who have perished since the very beginning of the COVID virus earlier this year, are going to expire in the next 28 days? This guy is a nut. And you expect us to believe that 80 million people voted for this lunatic? Give me a break. And then we've got everybody's favorite, Bill Barr. Now, I admit that I was a proponent of Bill Barr. I thought he might be good. He seemed to have restored some respectability uh, to the office and seemed to have re um, expressed a will uh, to actually enforce the law and investigate crimes. And I saw him on CNN a station I never watched, but I only watched it because I was told of his appearance there, where he was interviewed by Wolf Blitzer prior to the election and spoke about how, what a terrible thing that mail-in voting was. And he, he uh, cited the study, a Blue Ribbon Commission, chaired by Jimmy Carter and James Baker, and he explained how they had come to the conclusion that mail-in voting was fraught with the risk of fraud and coercion, and therefore should not be engaged in. Uh, yet, we're engaged in it now. But prior to this time, every academic study that was done agreed with the assessment of 
Mr. Baker and former President Jimmy Carter. Newspapers took that position. That was the prevailing position in this country until Donald Trump became president, and mail-in voting was the only way that they could have sufficient control to corrupt the vote to be able to dislodge a man who was not able to be dislodged and had defied all logic and had defied all attempts to destroy him over four years. And that's exactly what they set out to do. But in order to do that, they needed this COVID. And we know this COVID is a bit of nonsense. I'm not saying people haven't died. Don't get me wrong, ladies and gentlemen. If you've lost a relative to COVID, I sympathize with you. But I, I, I point out, as I pointed out to everyone, that dying is a part of living. We all come to the end of the line eventually. We all die from something. And if you look over some of these uh, data that are available in places, not even the United States, places in Europe, places in uh, like Australia, you'll see that the average age of people who die from COVID in Australia and the UK is above 80. Now think about that. You're always going to get the occasional people who are in compromised states of health who are younger who may have expired. And that brings down the numbers. But think about what great preponderance of elderly have perished to this thing uh, that have pushed the average age at 80. This means that if you're young, and I don't mean young, young, if you're less than 70 and you're in good health, you have very little risk of dying. And those numbers are borne out here. I reported on the show the other day that of the 267,000 people that died from COVID-19 to date at the date of the broadcast, 94% were in compromised states of health. They had more than two other risk factors. Only 6%, 16,000 Americans, were in otherwise perfect health. And the current estimates are that about 110 million people have had the COVID-19 virus in this country. 110 million people. Now, 16,000 deaths out of 110 million people, you do the math. That's not 1%. That's one-tenth of 1%. Why are we going through all of this just to avoid the spread of a virus that really isn't lethal by any standard you care to name? I mean, the flu was lethal. It kills 64,000 Americans every year. We know that. We don't see people going around telling us all we have to wear masks because of the flu. We don't lock ourselves down. We don't close our churches. So 64,000 people dropping dead is okay. But 260,000 people, we just got to shut it down. We, we've been here before. We've discussed this before. I've discussed it. Uh, I've compared it to national highway safety regulations. You know, we're content with 50,000 people dying every year in American highways. But if someone were to propose raising the speed limit to 75 and they, they could show statistically that another 500 or 1,000 more people might die, everybody would be apoplectic. The first 50,000 deaths they're okay with, but those last 500 or 1,000, just too much to bear. So getting back to the election, though, the COVID being used as an excuse, we have Mr. Bill Barr here. And now we've got Bill Barr running out there saying that there's no evidence of fraud or that he hasn't seen sufficient evidence of fraud yet to justify overturning the election. I was shocked by this, given his vociferous defense of not having mail-in voting, of that position, with Wolf Blitzer on CNN. 
He thought it was a terrible thing. He said, you know, and when, when Wolf Blitzer pointed out, well, we haven't had massive voter fraud. He goes, well, we haven't had the kind of massive use of mail-in voting that's being proposed. He says, you think this is any way to run a vote? I mean, I can still hear him say to my head. But if you look over Bill Barr's resume, certain things come to mind. His education is first rate, Columbia University and George Washington University is where he's got his JD. His spouse is Christine Moynihan. Now, without doing further research, I'm willing to bet that Christine Moynihan is the daughter of Patrick Moynihan, the former Democratic senator from New York. I'll take a leap of faith there. Uh, he became United States Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Legal Counsel. From January 20th, 1989 to May 26th, 1990, the president at that time, George Herbert Walker Bush. Why do I mention that? Because the Bushes still wield considerable influence and power in the establishment Republican Party. They're part of the never Trump crowd. And these guys have become retreads. They just get recycled. He was also the United States Deputy Attorney General from May 26, 19... Oh, we got that already. Hold it. One second. He was the United States Attorney General from November 26th, 1991 to January 20th, 1993, again under George Herbert Walker Bush. And he was brought back in February 2019 by Donald Trump after Rod Rosenstein, that piece of garbage, was given the boot, and Jeff Sessions had his falling out with Trump. We know all about that. So he's got a great loyalty and fealty to the Bushes. So it seems to me that he's been going through the motions. I still never understood why this Durham case was allowed to languish and why he didn't light a fire under his butt and tell him to get this thing done before the election. Because I've said it before, those of you who follow the show know it, I've said, what is the point of holding it back? You say you don't want to appear to be political. And that's why you don't want to uh, release it beforehand. You don't want to appear to uh, be influencing elections. Well, look, but you had to know by this time in the investigation, by September, October uh, of the election year, you had to know whether or not the investigation was bearing fruit, whether there was any there there. And we all know there is a there there. There was a lot of corruption and chicanery that went on. There was a lot of spying on the Trump campaign that went on. So if you knew that, you knew that there were people to be prosecuted who needed to be prosecuted. And you had to know that if Donald Trump didn't win re-election, all these people were going to get a pass because the new president was going to have a new attorney general and he was going to wipe all these things out. Now, if you cared about justice, you'd have to say, look, I'm weighing the two things. I don't want to influence the election, but I don't want to see people who have committed felonies walk. No, we're going to release it now. And if that sweeps Donald Trump into office, so be it. That should have been the position. But clearly, at the first opportunity, they stabbed him in the back. So we got Billy Barr here saying how there's no evidence. So I'm just going to go over a few things that I've reiterated before. And I just want to ask uh, Mr. Barr, if you can get this to him, to explain this to me. Mr. Barr, you say there is no evidence of fraud. I'm going to give you a few little stats here. In the state of Georgia, there is a current margin of victory for 
former Vice President Biden of 12,000 votes. Attorney Sidney Powell has identified 96,600 absentee ballots. These are ballots that were allegedly requested by the voter and counted. But there is no record of these ballots having been returned to the Board of Elections by the voter. This strikes me as fraud uh, in that it's probable that the ballots were never requested by the voter. And it's also uh, interesting to note that the overwhelming majority of these ballots are for Joe Biden. So if they were disallowed, that would cast the election of Georgia for Donald Trump. If that's not sufficiently efficacious for you, I have something else for you in the state of Georgia. Thousands of Georgians filed a national change of address forms. To be exact, over 20,000. We have their names. They subsequently registered in the states that they moved to. We have their registration cards. And they voted there. They also voted in Georgia. Now, can you tell me why 20-plus thousand people who no longer live in the state of Georgia and voted in the state of Georgia, having voted someplace else prior, is not fraud? Get back to me on that. I'll give you a little time. In the state of Pennsylvania, 1.8 million mail-in ballots were mailed out, but 2.3 million came back. How do you think that happened? And according to a U.S. Postal Service whistleblower, up to 280,000 ballots disappeared in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, after being transported by a truck from New York. Why were they being transported and where did they go? Could you explain to me why ballots that were cast from Pennsylvania uh, had any reason to be coming from New York? Uh, I, I don't see it, personally. I don't know why these things aren't mailed in from the state. And where did they go? And, and the other thing, mathematically, with 64% of the vote counted and Trump leading by over 750,000 votes with only one, well, that was 4.2 million out of the 6.5 million that were cast. So there would have been 2.3 million left. You're trying to tell me that those 2.3 million were virtually all for Joe Biden, that they were able to erase a 700,000, 60,000 vote lead and turn it into an 80,000 vote surplus for Joe Biden. And there's a host of other things that went on there. Then we have a Mr. Ethan Pease. He's a U.S. postal worker in Wisconsin, has submitted a sworn affidavit that he personally saw 100,000 ballots backdated so they could be illegally counted. Now, if this is not evidence for you, I don't know what is. And they've got thumb drives that are mis missing, 47 uh, USB drives that are holding votes that haven't materialized. This is to say nothing of the tremendous statistical and anecdotal evidence that simply cannot be denied because it's almost mathematically impossible. How about the fact that everybody had to be evacuated from a voting counting center in Georgia because of an alleged busted sewer pipe. Yet there's no record of anybody reporting a busted sewer pipe. There's no plumbing call to fix the busted sewer pipe. And six employees were allowed to stay in there and continue to count votes without being observed. We have sworn testimony that took place in Michigan that as Republican observers were forced out while ballots were counted, the Democrats applauded as if they had won a lottery ticket. If you don't think this stuff is worthy of scrutiny, I have a very, very differing opinion with you in what regards corruption and what regards integrity. 
If this is allowed to stand, we will never have another fair election in this country again. And I think the way that some of these legislatures are looking at this is whether or not it's unprecedented for them, unprecedented for them to seat new electors, that we're, we're going down a bad road, we're setting a precedent. You're setting a precedent right now if you continue this pattern of inaction, because you're going to basically assent to elections being stolen by whatever person wants to steal them. Now, Donald Trump asked all his supporters to go out in person. He asked his supporters to go out in person because he wanted to overcome this tremendous fraud that they had built in, because he knew there was fraud, so he wanted to overcome it. And I believe he did. Donald Trump increased his votes by over 11 million votes. I said this the other day. Barack Obama, who got more votes than anybody else in 2008, had ever gotten up to that time. He got more votes in 2008 than, than Trump and Hillary did in 2016. Uh, he got reelected pretty easily, and he had 3.5 million fewer votes in 2012 than he had in 2008. He also carried 837 counties. And we're supposed to believe that Joe Biden, who only carried 523 counties out of the, out of the entire country, that's only 17% of all counties, that this lunatic who never left his basement got over 80 million votes? He did more than the first black president that people were falling over themselves to vote for? Are you kidding me? It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. Trump won every demographic group that he wasn't supposed to win. He increased his, his share of a black votes. He increased his share of Hispanic votes to the point where it's mathematically impossible for someone in the Democrat Party to win the states of Florida, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada. Yet they have him winning Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada. Florida, Trump simply just blew, him up, blew the doors off. Why? How and why? Well, I'm going to tell you. Time zones. Time zones... Percentages, Democrats. Trump did succeed. Trump had more people show up than had ever shown up for a presidential election before. He was blowing them out. They had a certain amount of fraud already factored in, but they couldn't possibly conceive of the support this man would receive. So after Florida, you recall they delayed calling Florida, do you not? They had 94% of the vote in. Trump had over a 300,000-vote lead, almost 400,000 votes. It was mathematically impossible with 6% of the vote left for Joe Biden to win. They wouldn't call the state for Trump. It was very important for the illusion, ladies and gentlemen, because they didn't want at any time for Trump to appear to be in the electoral lead. Never. They didn't want you to see that. And so they refused to call it. All the while, the counts are continuing in other places. But Florida is in the east. Arizona is several hours behind. I'm not quite sure what the time zone in Michigan and Wisconsin are, but I assume they're at least an hour um, behind Eastern Standard Time. So they saw what was happening. And as the vote started coming in, with 64% of the vote counted in Pennsylvania, 64% of the vote counted in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona, Nevada, Miraculously, these counts stopped. They stopped because they were told they had to stop by the people at Dominion because they're looking at the election in real time. And they could see 
that it was getting out of hand, that Trump had had so many people show up in person to vote that if they counted any more votes that actually existed in the current percentages they were coming in for Trump, within a few more percentage points, it would reach a point where it was mathematically impossible to overcome and everybody would know it. The only reason why we know about this is because Trump so blew them out with voters that came and voted for him that it brought this issue to the fore. This probably happened in other states as well, but they're so traditionally Democratic or so traditionally Republican that it couldn't meaningfully affect the margins. Look at New York, where a Democratic candidate usually wins the city of New York, that bastion of liberalism, the sewer that I live in, by over 400,000 votes, 450,000 votes. Trump only lost New York City by a quarter of a million votes. That's unprecedented performance for a Republican in New York City. Unprecedented. That's what happened here. And what I want to know is, people are, are criticizing, belittling, castigating these witnesses. If all of these witnesses who have come forward and signed sworn affidavits are lying kooks, why are they so viciously attacked and threatened everywhere? Why aren't they just allowed to rant and rave and make fools of themselves? Why do they have to be vilified? Why do they have to be doxxed and threatened? Threatened with being exposed, threatened with fire, being fired from their jobs, being threatened that they'll never get hired again by anyone? I mean, are we kidding ourselves here? Are we kidding ourselves here? It's out of control. It's out of control. Now, I want to leave you with something. One other little topic that I hit. I think it's sad that I had to go halfway around the world to find bona fide news coverage. But if you really want to see news conducted the way news used to be conducted in this country, journalism done with courage, fortitude, and integrity, I advise you to get an app on your phone called Sky News, but Sky News Australia, because there also was Sky News in Great Britain, but it's a little different. It's not not quite conservative like the Sky News in Australia. Now, during the day, they say Sky News regular news programming is your average everyday run-of-the-mill news program, but they have a number of chaps and ladies on at night that give more of opinion journalism. Alan Jones, one of my favorites. They're absolutely fearless. They call it like it is. They tell it like it is. They have a very, very vested interest in uh, the success of the United States and the continued presidency of Donald Trump because they're vehemently anti-communist uh, and they're one of our best allies. They're located in that region, so they're an excellent ally for us because they afford us bases from which we could resupply naval ships and troops if we needed to. They're a, they're a hardy people. So I highly recommend that you watch Sky News. So, Mr. Barr, if you're uh, within the sound of my voice, have you had a chance to check on any of the things that I told you about? Well, if you're not, or you haven't, I advise you to get on it. I advise you to get on that bearded buffoon you got working for you in Connecticut, Durham, who can't decide that people who need to be put in jail should be put in jail. This pit bull of an investigator who doesn't stop uh, seems to have stopped pretty conveniently prior to the election. See if you can do something about that. In fact, why don't you do something really good about it? Why don't you just give your resignation to the Trump and get the hell out of there? Maybe he can order somebody to do something. Oh, I have another piece of information for you. I almost forgot, Mr. Barr. I hate to deprive you. 
perhaps this might whet your appetite. Um, you know about that company, Dominion? Yes. Well, the parent company of Dominion received $400 million from a Swiss investment bank, 75% of which is owned by the Chinese government. Now, let's look into this a little further. I want to give this to you correctly. This is an SEC filing. I'm sure you've heard of them. That's the Security and Exchange Commission. It's an agency of the United States government. I'm sure you can get in touch with the commissioner. Uh, he'll, give, he'll certainly return the call of the attorney general. An investigation into the SEC filings has revealed that the firm which owns Dominion Voting Systems received $400 million from a Swiss bank with close links to the Chinese government less a month before the election. The investigation centers on Staple Street Capital, which acquired Dominion Voting Systems in 2018. Now, let me continue. Dominion Voting Systems, for those of you who don't know, operate the voting machines in 28 states. And they're the ones that have been accused by President Trump and his supporters of being involved in deleting millions of votes for Trump, in addition to switching votes to Biden on election night. On October 8th of this year, 2020, Staple Street Capital filed SEC Form D, offerings and sales amount, of $400 million with the sales compensation recipient identified as UBS Securities, states the investigation, which also notes that another payment of $200 million had been received in December of 2014. The UBS Securities is a Swiss investment bank which owns 24.9% of UBS Securities Company Limited, a Chinese investment bank. The remaining 75% of UBS Securities Company Limited is owned by the Chinese government. The overall owners of USB Securities Company Limited are Beijing Guangzhou, 33%, UBS, the Swiss, 24.99%, Guangdong Com Group, 14.01%, China Gudian, 14%, and Kafko Group, another 14%. Aside from the UBS group I just mentioned, the other four groups, the Beijing Group, the Guangdong, the China Gudian, and Kafko, are all communist Chinese front groups. So if you want a little exercise in fraud investigation, Mr. Barr, why don't you look into that? Tell me if that stinks. And let me remind you of something. In September of 2018, the man you work for, Donald Trump, President of the United States, number 45, wrote an executive order dealing with the porousness of our election system and declaring a national emergency because of alleged potential foreign interference in our election. Now, if you don't think that a company that uh, is 75% owned by a Chinese Communist Party is involved in counting the votes and monitoring votes in our elections isn't tantamount to foreign interference in this election after Trump cleaned their clock in negotiations, then I've got a couple of bridges here in New York I'd like to sell you. In fact, I just recently acquired title to the Mario Cuomo Bridge, formerly known as the TZ Bridge. I'll sell that to you for a sweet deal. So get back to me on it and let me know how you feel. For the rest of us, I think we can all see the forest from the trees and we know what's happening here. Do not give up hope. Giuliani is on it. Jenna, his, co his co-partner in crime, is on it. That lovely lawyer for the White House. Lynn Wood is on it. And Sidney Powell is on it. The only person who's not on it is the man who should be on it, Attorney General Bill Barr. You can't make this stuff up. For National Preview Online, 
I'm Jamie Dury.